0: Welcome to the audio podcast for Beit Abba, the Messianic Jewish ministry at the Father's House. We exist to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people and to connect Christians to Israel and the Jewish roots of our faith. Uh, So this one is called the 7,000, not hidden from heaven. And it's a call for revival. It's a cry for revival. And it's acknowledgement of those that are uh, reaching for something different. Do you know we need something new here? Yes. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to read something to you that, well, you know what? I've got to, excuse me, a little technical difficulty here. My son, my younger son, works for LinkedIn, and he calls me OE, operator error because I'm always calling him for help with the computer. And it's just, he can't be bothered. He's got a real job, you know? (laughs) So I am OE. Uh, And it's not getting better. I thought it would get better over time, but it is not. So I'm just gonna vamp here while I figure out how to do that. Okay, got that. And I need to do this. Oops. See, the scripture that begins this is 1 Kings 19, which says that after Elijah goes through all that he went through, I'm going to go over it with you a little bit, I'll tell the story, but but, uh, he's thinking he's the only one that's standing for God. You ever felt like that? Maybe with your family? Depends on the family, I guess, right? Uh, Some of us have felt like that. You know, like we're the only ones. I, only I am left, you know. And God says, I have 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal nor kissed him. I see it up there, but I don't see it here. Should never let Catherine go to Texas. Uh, Anyway, Scripture says... Ah, yet I have preserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouth has not kissed him. And in the Hebrew, that has to do with the intimacy that either we're going to have with the Lord or we're going to have with this world and the demonic forces that are driving this world. And so what this says to us is that uh, we're not alone. There is a remnant in the earth. There are hidden ones that are known by heaven who are reaching for something different and new in the earth right now. And you can be part of that company. It's not mandatory. It's not mandatory. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context. And I thought it might be interesting for you for me to read some of this. Uh, You're not going to see it. I'm going to read it from the Complete Jewish Bible, which is uh, one of the paraphrases, one of the translations that we use. There's several that, if you want to get some of the flavor of Hebrew, there's the Complete Jewish Bible. David Stern did that. David Stern was a... A world-class surfer in Huntington Beach. He got radically saved. Went on to write a complete Jewish Bible and commentaries on it. And he's a real hero in the Messianic movement. He just went to be with the Lord last year. And, uh, or you'll hear me also use the TLV, the Tree of Life version. Tree of Life version also has some of the cultural flavor of uh, Hebrew life. And um, I was privileged to be part of that project. There were 50 of us under the... Under uh, Robert Morris and Jack Hayford, and we did this translation. I had the, the honor of doing the introduction to Ruth and to Esther, which is pretty cool, since our story, my wife and I, is the story of Ruth, and my story with you is the story of Esther, because my Hebrew name is Mordechai, and you look a lot like Esther to me, because you've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. So, this is First Kings 18. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna jump around a little bit. But here's what. A long time passed. Then, in the third year, what year are we in? 2023, 5783. It's the year of threes. It's a season of three. Three is the picture of the provision of God. The Gimel, the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Were you here last time? Did you hear some of that? Do you know that when we went to the altar and got on our knees here, that that sparked something that went through the church? through the Father's house, and the Father's house is on the same page. Do you know that the gospel goes to the Jew first? I would say something like that also, that what happens in Beit Abba happens in Vacaville and in Napa. I'm not saying that in a prideful way. I'm just saying that God's trying to do something to explain to us and demonstrate to us the one new man of Jew and Gentile together in Messiah. And as we reach for revival in here, as you come here, as you always do, hungry for the Lord, you set something in motion in the Spirit, that affects the other campuses. Can I tell you that without you getting full of pride? I know I can because ain't got no high horse. You got a high horse? No. no. A long time passed. Then in the third year, the word of Adonai came to Eliyahu. Now these are the names how they sound in Hebrew. There is no J in the Hebrew language. So when you see Jeremiah and Elijah Etc. Etc. that doesn't exist for the Jews. Eliyahu is how you say Elijah, right? Don't get nervous. You now know as much Hebrew as I do, so don't worry. <laughs> Go present yourself to Ahav. Who's Ahav? Ahab. King James, bad translation. Love it, raised on it. I thought, actually, when I got saved, I was given a King James Bible, and I thought that's how God spoke. I thought he spoke with this stentorian British accent, like Laurence Olivier. I had no, had no idea he sounded like a Brooklyn Jew. I got that later. Go present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain down on the land. When Eliyahu went to present himself to Ahab, the famine in Shomron, Shomron is Samaria, had become severe. Ahab called Obadiah, Obadiah, Obadiah who was in charge of the palace. Now, Ovadia greatly revered the Lord. For example, when Isabel, Jezebel, Jezebel, Itzebel was murdering Adonai's prophets, Ovadia took a hundred prophets and hid them in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Ovadia, go throughout the land and check all the springs and the vadis. Vadis is uh, a wadi, we say. The, the Arabic and the Hebrew are very similar. It's, it's a, a, a valley, right? So they have Silicon Valley here in California. We have Silicon Wadi in Israel. Same thing, high-tech area. <laughs> you still with me? I'm setting this up so you know why Elijah was so in so much trouble with himself not with the Lord. Go through the land, check all the springs and vadis, all the valleys. We can find grass somewhere and, and not perish, right? So go tell your master Eliyahu is here. And so, Ovadia, what, what happens is Obadiah says, if I go to Ahab and I tell him that you're here, he's going to kill me. So this is not a good idea. And Elijah says, God's got this. Don't worry about it. You go and tell him. And so he does. He, find, he finds him and he says, is, and so Ahab comes and he, calls, he says to Elijah, are you here now, you troubler of Israel? It's a kind of an odd translation, but it has to do with the stirring the pot. You know, stirring. You heard that? You got someone in your family who's a stirrer? You know? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. So they, Ahab is telling him, you're, you're a stirrer. And you, you make me nervous. So the the Confrontation comes, and if you don't know the story, I'll just paraphrase here. The confrontation comes between the 450 prophets of Baal, Baal, prophets of Baal, and the 400. And Elijah does this incredible routine up on Mount Carmel, one of my favorite places in Israel. That's where God gave me this message. Not this message tonight, this message that I carry was on Mount Carmel. My spiritual father in the Israel message is there. He was with the Lord now. And so it was a life changing time for me. I'm I sh- sh- sure I've told you this, but in Israel, they have uh, the mental health system has a special place for people who come to Israel and come under what they call Jerusalem syndrome. If you're coming with me in March, do not do this. What happens is people, usually Americans, go there. And they have this like super spiritual mental breakdown where they kind of think they're Elijah or Jesus or the Messiah or something. And they maybe start wearing white, carry a stick. Actually, I actually have a friend in ministry there who does that, but that's another story. But, but so they have this mental breakdown. And so the, the, the Israelis will take them, 5150 we call it here, but they'll take them and put them in a 72-hour hold and kind of dope them up if they have to and get them kind of back on the planet and say, no, you're not Elijah. In fact, you're not Eliyahu. You know, you're Joe Smith from Fresno, right? So you, this is, that's something that can happen there. So, so we're kind of a sensitive to people having super spiritual experiences when they go there, because you want to have a real spiritual experience, which you will have. So I went to Mount Carmel in 2003 for their school of ministry, and they bring in all the Messianic leaders from the, from the land and teach you And I had Mount Carmel syndrome. I wept day and night for two weeks because God took us out of Russia and Argentina and Africa and India and all the places we had served. And he put us there. And he put something in me that will not go away. And I just cried. I cried for two weeks. My wife thought, oh, no, we're going to have to go to the hospital. One of my mentors there is a guy named Peter Tsukihira. He will tell you, I have a Japanese face, an American passport, uh, sorry, a Japanese face, a, a, an American accent, and, a Jap- and an Israeli passport. He married a Jewish gal. They made Aliyah. They serve on Mount Carmel. And he was teaching and teaching, and we just had all these luminaries come from the movement up to Mount Carmel to talk to us. And then we toured the land a little bit. Most we were just kind of in class. And... Uh, if you have two weeks to spare, I highly recommend you go to the now Carmel School of Ministry. I assume they're still doing it. We're in school number seven. I think there's like eighty-five they've done so far. And one morning I got up and I told Catherine, "This is very spare. You know, it's a retreat house. you It's not. It's not the Waldorf." So we're in this like uh, retreat place. <laughs> and uh, I get up. I said, "You know what?" I'm going to steal all these messages and take them back to America. My wife, who you know, said, "That's not biblical. You can't say steal. You can't steal. You can't. That's just not. That's that's wrong. That's the that's in the Ten Commandments. You can't you you you, you can't steal these." We get up first class. Peter Tsegere gets up, and his first thing out of his mouth is. I want you to steal all these messages (laughs) and take them back to your home country. (laughs) So Mount Carmel is where the confrontation had. And that's why when you come with us to Mount Carmel, you'll see they have 12 stones in the sanctuary. They have a room for 400 people and they can bump it open for another 450 just like in the scripture, they have a place above the altar that's open to the sky so the fire can fall. It's designed to, re- to reproduce the spirit of this battle. And folks, you are in a battle. We need to stop looking at things in the natural as much as we do. I don't know how much counseling I'm doing these days that I, I jokingly say it's PCSD, post-COVID stress disorder, but what's really going on is that things that were primarily psychological are spiritual. The psychological is yielding to the fact that we are in a war and the enemy is coming after you. So hallelujah, you are in a good place. You're standing on the rock and you will not be moved. And as everything that can be shaken is shaken, you don't have to shake. We don't have to shake. So the confrontation comes and... Uh, God wins. That's a shorthand version. <laughs> I did such a money trail. I'm just going to leave it there. Okay. Uh, but part of the story there, of course, is that God was not in the thunder. He was not in the lightning. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the big noise. He was in, did I hear Pastor St- Dave say this? He was in the still small voice. Right? We've got to get disconnected enough from this in order to get connected to this. Right, and so I want to talk tonight about some uh, about this epic battle that we're in—battle between good and evil. I love this. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the comedian J.P. Sears. Do You know the orange guy. You know, but knows him. He's uh, an orange-looking guy, and uh, he—he's a political comedian, so it's not everybody's cup of tea. But he says he's got some merch, and one of his one of his T-shirts is "Make 1984 Fiction Again." Uh, we are in a war, so the hidden ones that are known from heaven. I want to take two draw two two people two situations out of these verses to, in, to encourage you in our walk. First one is. Elisha's first encounter with the widow. He's had two, but the first one is. We'll go over that one, and the second one is going to be Naaman's servant girl. When you come with us to Israel, you'll hear me preach about Naaman when we baptize you in the Jordan River. Who's going this fall? This uh, spring. Raise your hands. Let me look at you. Who's going to spring? All right. all right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Um. So. I'll just repeat it, First Kings 19, 18. I have preserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouth has not kissed him. 7,000 is not a literal number. It's a picture for us that there is a company of hidden ones who will not yield, will not give up, will not give in, and will not give over to the spirit of the age. Right? That's who you are. People who come out on Friday night to, to watch a little Jew talk and to lean into the Hebrew heart of the Christian faith, you're the people that will stand. You could be anywhere. You could be down at the bar having a good time. Second Kings 4, now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared the Lord. Now the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. What should I do for you, Elisha asked her. Tell me, what do you have in the house? She replied, your handmaid has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow for yourself vessels from all your neighbors, empty jars. I saw a moment here in the worship service where we had an opportunity to empty ourselves. If you didn't see it, take another look. There was a real moment there. The anointing was there to empty and to, and to let God fill us. Yes. It's like in counseling when, when I teach people how to reconcile, how to, how to solve their, resolve conflict, right? And I have a five-step process that I've tested for 30 years. It definitely works, if they'll do it. And uh, they'll, so I'll practice with them, and they'll do one. It's like, wow, Holy Spirit comes. They're feeling good. This is amazing. Wow. I say, here's the, the good news is this works, the bad news is you have to do it about 500,000 more times in your marriage, which is not really bad news. Empty. Go find vessels from all your neighbors, empty jars, not just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and behind your sons and pour it all into those vessels, setting aside what is full. So do you want revival? Well, somebody does. Anybody else want revival? You want revival? Give a shout. Go ahead, shout. Shout, shout, shout. I could report to Catherine that I got you to shout because she knows how to do that. <laughs> she, what did she do? What did, the la- what did the widow do? She cried out. You cry out. It's like what happened last meeting when we were on our knees. Oh, two meetings ago? I can't keep track. Right? Uh, it's happening around the world. See, we're, we're kind of, I don't want to say we late to the party. I had a great podcast with Pastor Brent Locker from the East Bay. He's one of those guys who, he actually has a download, anointed download of the love of the Father that kind of makes me nervous. You know, people say, Daddy, and this and that. Some people are really good at that, not so much me. But you know what? Uh, the anointing that was on his interview is incredible because you will sense uh, the reality of how much God loves you in that interview. And he was telling me that uh, the desperation is what precedes revival, right? So she cried out. That's, how, that's the first thing we see in this story. She cried out. It's happening around the world. When you see that all else fails, that's the desperation. Desperation is everything else is going to fail. My, my, my brains, my incredible height, stature, and blonde good looks will fail. when i'm desperate then god shows up yes. what happens in an anointed worship service like that is you may not we, we may not always like track with what's going on but what's going on is that we're coming to the end of ourselves as we come to the end of ourselves then we experience his presence right. we experience his presence in the room for sure but also in our in our inner being in ourselves Amen. so we need jars of oil We need to be empty jars so we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. So she left him and shut the door behind her and behind her sons. They kept bringing the vessels to her and she kept pouring. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. But he said to her, there isn't another vessel, so the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, so he said, go sell all the oil and pay your debt and then you and your sons can live on the rest. The oil is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points us to the only one who can pay our debt, which is Yeshua. He pays the debt. We cannot pay the debt. We cannot righteous ourselves to heaven. I know I was in the new age. I was sure I was going to God myself to God. And I could not. It was revelatory to know that the price was paid revelatory to know that there was real blood on a real cross, a real man who was God incarnate, who paid the price for my sin so that I could live forever with him. Shocking. Matthew 25, Yeshua said it like this, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise, for when the foolish ones took their lamps, they took no oil with them. God, help us God, help me to be the wise virgin. Help me to be filled with oil. Help me to come to you and to bring you my empty vessel, to bring you my inability so that you can fill me. I was thinking about my spiritual father in this message, David Davis. Uh, He was... I saw a clip of him, it reminded me. He was doing, he's talking about the heroes of the church. We sang that line tonight we'll stand together with the heroes of the faith. Every time I hear that, I bust because I've met some of them. You know, I've met the Iranians and I've met the Chinese. I've ministered with them, ministered to them. Hallelujah. That's, you know, that's the forest gump of the Messianic movement. I don't know how God does that stuff, or whatever. But uh, think about Brother Yun, who I, I ministered alongside of, ministered to, and ministered with his people. Brother Yun was in the prisons in China for seven years for being a pastor. When I interviewed him on the Mount of Olives, he said his only regret was that he only was in prison for seven years because his mentor, his spiritual father, was in prison for 40 years and died in prison. He would see his wife and baby son, the the mentor, wife and baby son through the bars of the prison. He was in there 40 years and then he died there. Brother Yun, they broke his legs and he was miraculously healed and he walked out of prison. He goes around the world telling the story of the church in China, but most importantly, telling of the salvation of the Lord, right? I met the Iranians. They they drove from Tehran to Armenia, 97 hours. They drove the next generation. They were worshipers like our team, young people. And they drove all the way because they wanted to hear from a Jew for Jesus. And we spent three, four days, four days, which is 24-7, just prayer and worship, and prayer and worship. Catherine thought I was like on drugs because... uh, As soon as we were done with the session, they would pull me over to the side and they would spend another two hours asking me questions. She couldn't believe that I was able to sustain that. Why? Because I was empty and God filled me for their sake. You have people around you that need what you are carrying. If you just get out of the way, if you just say, God, give me something to give. God, give me something to give. You, you have it. You will have it. The vessel's empty. It gets poured. It gets filled with oil. Yes. And it's sometimes as simple as that. It's as simple as, God, I know you're, 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 to me, it feels like he's shoving me, but maybe he's gently guiding you towards someone or reminding you to get in touch with someone. You know that? It's like, oh, okay, right? Just show me. Give me something for them. He will. Here's what the Chinese say. My friend David asked them, well, how can we pray for you in China? He's this one pastor who had been hung upside down in the ice and snow to die, and he lived, and the prison got saved. Pray that the materialism of the West does not pollute the church in China. So we know we know about these great revivals through history. You know, we read about them, and we can see, like, wow. And they have, like, college, Moody College. Moody was a revivalist. And other ones that we, we we know about. You know, we know Spurgeon. We know some others, the Wesley's and others that were involved. Whitfield were involved in these incredible moves of God. The Azusa people, et cetera. Did you know about the Wall Street revival? I know, it sounds like an oxymoron, right? Wall Street revival. How's that possible? Well, here's... Here's the story. It's called the Wall Street Revival. Sometimes it's called the Businessmen's Revival. Hello? Any businessmen here? No businessmen or women? Somebody's got to be in business. Okay, don't be shy. Who's in business? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I got a word for you. Come on, raise your hand if you're a businessman or woman. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Maybe you need to start a prayer meeting at your place of business. I'll show you why. This man's name is Jeremiah Lamphere. Never heard of him, right? Heard of Moody, heard of Spurgeon, heard of all these other revivalists. Never heard of Jeremiah Lamphere. In 1857, a few years before the Civil War, he was a, a lay missionary. He was a regular person in the church. Wasn't the guy with the microphone. He was a regular person in the church, right? Because there is no difference And he started a prayer meeting. First meeting, there was a dozen people. Then scores of people started to come. It was a noon prayer meeting on Wall Street, on Fulton Street, actually, but in in this business section of New York City. Then hundreds started to gather. And then finally, 10,000 at a time would gather. They estimate that in the course of this prayer meeting, after one year, one million people came to faith in the Lord from a prayer meeting that was started by a lay missionary in a business noon hour lunch, worship lunch. There are thousands, probably millions of people walking with that anointing around the world right now. They're carrying the anointing for revival. It's just a matter of us finding how God wants us to release it. Right, For this man, it was a prayer meeting. So the, the New York Times, a former newspaper, said it this way. This is March 20th, 1858. The great waves of religious excitement which is now sweeping over this nation is one of the most remarkable movements since the Reformation. Travelers relate that in cars and steamboats, in banks and markets, everywhere through the interior, this matter is an absorbing topic. Churches are crowded Schoolhouses are turned into chapels. Converts are numbered by the scores of thousands. In this city, in New York City, in New York City, we have beheld a sight which not the most enthusiastic fanatic for church observances could ever have hoped to look upon. We have seen in a business quarter of the city, in the busiest hours, assemblies of merchants, clerks, and working men to the number of 5,000 to 10,000 gathered day after day for a simple and solemn worship. It is most impressive to think that over this great land, tens and fifties of thousands of men and women are putting themselves at this time in a simple and serious way. The greatest question that can ever come before the human mind, what shall we do to be saved from sin? It's sobering, isn't it? It's sobering. My kids just last week interviewed John Bevere on TV. That was, I think, maybe that was the day that my kids, my grandkids, were there. And John Bevere's new book is called uh, "The Awe of God," something like that. He, it's really the fear of God. But since we're afraid of the word "fear" of God, he calls it the awe of God because he's smart. But it's the same. It's not the fear of like God's after me; he's going to get me. I'm in trouble. It's the awe. Fear. It's the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of wisdom. And we have lost the fear of the Lord in this country. And it's little meetings like this, it's little meetings like Wall Street, it's little gatherings in your home, it's little places where you pray together that begins to stir up and bring us back to the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we have lost that. We've diluted everything so that we feel like we're on the defensive. And guess what? We are not on the defensive. We are an offense, <laughs> but try to let the cross be the offense and not your personality. <clears throat> this little lady, who's my, one of my mentors said, the, the, widow woman, the, widow woman, the, wi- the widow woman, 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 the widow woman. He's with the Lord now too. Uh, the widow woman, she has no name, but she stirred up something that was connected to revival. She stirred up something that was connected to a lesson for us throughout the ages about how to bring into manifestation the reality of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And here's the other example, Naaman. Now, when you come with us to Israel, I will preach this at the baptism. Before we baptize you in the Jordan, I preach this because the recommendation, which I'm not going to talk about, from from Elisha was that... Uh, Naaman had to go and dunk himself in the Jordan River seven times to get rid of his leprosy. So here's how the verse goes. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, Aram is Syria, was a great man in his master's sight and highly esteemed because though through him Adonai had given victory to Aram, Syria. Though the man was a mighty man of valor, he had sarat, leprosy. Aram had gone out in bands and had taken captive a young girl from the land of Israel. That's a very sanitized way of saying what the Syrians were doing. I'll give you a little grisly detail in a minute. Had taken captive a young girl from the land of Israel, so she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord went before the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy. Kidnapped girl, probably 12, 13 years old. The Syrians were the most cruel, most torturous, torturing, vile of the surrounding nations in the day. What did this 12-year-old girl go through? I mean, we are all leaning into seeing women saved from sex trafficking and children saved from sex trafficking. We're all aware of that now. My son's church in in Texas, they, they have a major movement that they do with that, which is fantastic. And I know other people that do as well. What did she see? What happened when Aram came? They just took her captive and took her... No. I'll tell you what probably happened, and don't quote me, maybe turn off the tape. She probably saw her mother raped. She probably saw her father beheaded, and she might have been raped herself, a young teenage girl. I'm talking about absolute devastation, complete violation, complete loss, complete just... The worst of the worst that anybody could go through. This girl probably went through something like that. And then Naaman's wife purchased her as a slave, as a servant. But she knew, no matter what she had seen and gone through, no matter what she had experienced, no matter how bad the trauma was, she knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she had faith that God could use the prophet of God to heal her master. Heal her, uh, the, the general. So she knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She was surrounded by idolatry, surrounded by the worst of the worst. And yet she was able to maintain positive view because of who she knew. So this girl, whose name we do not know, influenced the general, influenced the king, All of the army heard. And when he gets healed, uh, it changes everything. But we don't know her. She's hidden. The widow is hidden. But they're not hidden from heaven. There are things that you do that only you know. Only God and you know are things that you do for the kingdom. And Every once in a while... He'll say something to you. He'll you'll you'll hear him notice it. Did you it have that experience? You know, it's a very private experience. I was coming back from Vacaville, and God just showed me some things about an attack that had been against me, that I didn't discern, and had been going on for a long time, and and it was like. My tendency was, and you may relate to this, my tendency was to say, yeah, but God, you know, I'm a sinner, and I did this, I do that, you know, and I started recounting my losses, you know, like, by the way, did you know I was a sinner? And uh, (laughs) don't you speak, you know, you might not notice. And God said something along the lines of, you know, that's that's not what's important to me. And started to show me the things that are important to him. The things that you do and ways that you are, That are kingdom touched, those are things that are important to God. Those are the things that He notices. And they be very, very private. We don't know her name, but she changed the world. She's not hidden from heaven. So I'm gonna bring this to a close here with some verses from Zephaniah. See, these hidden ones, they're everywhere in the world. You may be one, or you can sign up, not at the table you got to sign up in your private time with God. You can't sign up for this in public. There's nothing public about this. This is something that you get to do between you and the Lord. I want to be one. I want to be a hidden one that's known by heaven. I always think, you know, they tell those jokes about, you know, you you think you'll... uh, but These people have rivalries in celebrity Christianity. Well, do you think you'll see so-and-so in heaven? And they asked, I think they asked Billy Graham, "Now, do you think you'll see so-and-so in heaven? And he said, oh, no, I won't see him in heaven. And they said, oh, why not? He said, because he will be right next to Jesus, and I'll be somewhere in the back row. There are hidden ones. Do mighty things for God. Zephaniah says it this way. This is a God's promise to Israel. Here's the thing about God's promises to Israel. We can borrow them, but we need to put them back where they came from, which is what this is partially about. Right? Let's remember where we come from, and let's remember that God speaks a lot to Israel, and then because we're grafted in, we get to partake of that promise. I will leave among you. This is, a, this is, this is God's testimony for Beit Abba. This is you, y'all. All y'all. I'm texting all y'all. Can you believe? That's such a work. I will leave among you a people meek and humble. They will take refuge in the name of Adonai. The remnant of Israel will do no injustice, nor will they tell lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. Don't leak. If you've got an attitude about a leader, a pastor, somebody in your sphere that you're working alongside of, do not leak. Take it to the Lord, repent, and keep your mouth shut. Do not sow division. God hates that. A deceitful tongue will not be found in the mouth, for they will graze and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Psalm 23, we did at the beginning of the turn of the year, 2023, we did Psalm 23... Graze and lie down. God wants you to rest with him. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. I'm going to ask the band to come as we close this. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult wholeheartedly, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord, Adonai, has taken away your punishments. He has turned back your adversary. The king of Israel, Adonai, is in your midst. Never again will you fear harm. That's the thing about this life. Anybody here who's over 50 knows how quick this thing is going, right? I mean, it gets just faster and faster and faster. It's like like that. But eternity, right? So... Fear harm. Yeah, I, I don't want to get tortured for Christ if I can avoid it, right? I don't want pain. I would like to avoid that. But if I can't, I can't fear death because to live is Christ, right? To die is gain, right? So, so we're, you're, we're in good shape. <laughs> Never again will you fear harm. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, have no fear, O Zion, do not let your hands fall limp. Adonai, your God is in your midst. He will delight over you with joy. He will quiet you with His love. He will dance for joy over you with singing. For more information about Beit Abba, log on to our website at tfh.org slash or call our office at 707-455-7790.